0: Hello there, and welcome to Down to Sleep. This is my podcast of softly spoken audiobooks and bedtime stories to help you get a good night's rest. Please do leave a positive review, a thumbs up, or five stars on whatever app you're listening on. If you would prefer to listen on YouTube, then head over to youtube.com slash down to sleep. There is also a Patreon where you can support me and the podcast and get two readings every week. Members of the Patreon hear everything first and get to vote on what books I read next and prioritize. So come and join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep. You can find links to those and my Instagram in the info for this episode. Let's go ahead and take a nice deep breath. Let's tuck you in and let's get down to sleep. We continue from where we last left off. Whether it be Jacob's Cold Ones, or my own superhero theory, Edward Cullen was not human. He was something more. So then, maybe, that would have to be my answer for now. And then the most important question of all, what was I going to do if it was true? If Edward was a vampire... I could hardly make myself think the words. Then what should I do? Involving someone else was definitely out. I couldn't even believe myself. Anyone I told would have me committed. Only two options seemed practical. The first was to take his advice. To be smart. To avoid him as much as possible. To cancel our plans. To go back to ignoring him as far as I was able. To pretend there was an impenetrably thick glass wall between us in the one class where we were forced together. To tell him to leave me alone and mean it this time. I was gripped in a sudden agony of despair as I considered that alternative. My mind rejected the pain quickly skipping on to the next option I could do nothing different after all, if he was something sinister, he had done nothing to hurt me so far in fact, I would be a dent in Tyler's fender if he hadn't acted so quickly I argued with myself that it might have been sheer reflexes but if it was a reflex to save lives how bad could he be? I retorted, my head spun around in answerless circles. There was one thing I was sure of, if I was sure of anything. The dark Edward in my dream last night was a reflection only of my fear of the word Jacob had spoken, and not Edward himself. Even so, when I had screamed out in terror at the werewolf's lunge. It wasn't fear for the wolf that brought the cry of no to my lips. It was fear that he would be harmed. Even as he called to me with sharp, edged fangs. I feared for him. And I knew in that I had my answer. I didn't know if there ever was a choice, really. I was already in too deep. Now that I knew, if I knew, I could do nothing about my frightening secret, because when I thought of him, of his voice, his hypnotic eyes, the magnetic force of his personality, I wanted nothing more than to be with him right now, even if, but I couldn't think it Not here, alone in the darkening forest. Not while the rain made it dim as twilight under the canopy and pattered like footsteps across matted earthen floor. I shivered and rose quickly from my place of concealment, worried that somehow the path would have disappeared with the rain. But it was there, safe and clear winding its way out of the dripping green maze. I followed it hastily, my hood pulled close around my face, becoming surprised as I nearly ran through the trees at how far I had come. I started to wonder if I was heading out at all, or following the path farther into the confines of the forest. Before I could get too panicky, though, I began to glimpse some... Open spaces through the webbed branches. And then I could hear a car passing on the street, and I was free. Charlie's lawn stretched out in front of me, the house beckoning me, promising warmth and dry socks. It was just noon when I got back inside. I went upstairs and got dressed for the day jeans and a t shirt, since I was staying indoors. It didn't take too much effort to concentrate on my task for the day. A paper on Macbeth that was due Wednesday. I settled into outlining a rough draft contentedly, more serene than I'd felt since, well, since Thursday afternoon if I was being honest. That had always been my way though. Making decisions was the painful part for me, the part. I agonized over. But once the decision was made, I simply followed through, usually with relief that the choice was made. Sometimes the relief was tainted by despair, like my decision to come to Forks. But it was still better than wrestling with the alternatives. This decision was ridiculously easy to live with, dangerously easy. And so the day was quiet. Productive. I finished my paper before eight. Charlie came home with a large catch, and I made a mental note to pick up a book of recipes for fish while I was in Seattle next week. The chills that flashed up my spine whenever I thought of that trip were no different than the ones I'd felt before I'd taken my walk with Jacob Black. They should be be different. I thought I should be afraid. I knew I should be. But I couldn't feel the right kind of fear. I slept dreamlessly that night, exhausted from beginning my day so early and sleeping so poorly the night before. I woke for the second time since arriving in Forks to the bright yellow light of a sunny day. I skipped to the window, stunned to see that there was hardly a cloud in the sky. And those there were, were just fleecy little white puffs that couldn't possibly be carrying any rain. I opened the window, surprised when it opened silently, without sticking, not having opened it in who knows how many years sucking in that relatively dry air. It was nearly warm and hardly windy at all. My blood was electric in my veins. Charlie was finishing breakfast when I came downstairs, and he picked up on my mood immediately. Nice day out, he commented. Yes, I agreed with a grin. He smiled back his brown eyes crinkling around the edges. When Charlie smiled, it was easier to see why he and my mother had jumped too quickly into an early marriage. Most of the young romantic he had been in those days had faded before I'd known him, as the curly brown hair, the same color if not the same texture as mine, had dwindled, slowly revealing more and more of the shiny skin of his forehead, But when he smiled, I could see a little of the man who had run away with Renee when she was just two years older than I was now. I ate breakfast cheerily, watching the dust motes stirring in the sunlight that streamed in the back window. Charlie called out a goodbye when I heard the cruiser pull away from the house. I hesitated on my way out the door, hand "'on my rain jacket. "'It would be tempting fate to leave it home. "'With a sigh, I folded it over my arm "'and stepped out into the brightest light I'd seen in months. "'By dint of much elbow grease, "'I was able to get both windows in the truck "'almost completely rolled down. "'I was one of the first ones to school.' I hadn't even checked the clock in my hurry to get outside. I parked and headed toward the seldom-used picnic benches on the south side of the cafeteria. The benches were still a little damp, so I sat on my jacket, glad to have a use for it. My homework was done, the product of a slow social life. But there were a few trig problems I wasn't sure I had right. I took out my book industriously, but halfway through rechecking the first problem, I was daydreaming, watching the sunlight play on red-barked trees. I sketched inattentively along the margins of my homework. After a few minutes, I suddenly realized I had drawn five pairs of dark eyes staring out of the page at me. I scrubbed them out with the eraser. Bella, I heard someone call, and it sounded like Mike. I looked around to realize that the school had become populated while I had been sitting there, absent-minded. Everyone was in t-shirts, some even in shorts, though the temperature couldn't be over 60. Mike was coming toward me in khaki shorts and a striped rugby shirt waving. Hey Mike, I called, waving back, unable to be half-hearted on a morning like this. He came to sit by me, the tidy spikes of his hair shining golden in the light, his grin stretching across his face. He was so delighted to see me. I couldn't help but feel gratified. I never noticed before. Your hair has red in it, he commented, catching between his fingers a strand that was fluttering in the light breeze. Only in the sun. I became just a little uncomfortable as he tucked the lock behind my ear. Great day, isn't it? My kind of day, I agreed. What did you do yesterday? His tone was just a bit too proprietary. I mostly worked on my essay. I didn't add that I was finished with it. No need to sound smug. He hit his forehead with the heel of his hand. Oh, yeah. That's due Thursday, right? Um, Wednesday, I think. Wednesday? He frowned. That's not good. What are you writing yours on? whether Shakespeare's treatment of the female characters is misogynistic. He stared at me like I'd just spoken in pig Latin. I guess I'll have to get to work on that tonight, he said deflated. I was going to ask if he wanted to go out. Oh. I was taken off guard. Why couldn't I ever have a pleasant conversation with Mike anymore without it getting awkward? Well... We could go to dinner or something, and I could work on it later. He smiled at me, hopefully. Mike, I hated being put on the spot. I don't think that would be the best idea. His face fell. Why? He asked, his eyes guarded. My thoughts flickered to Edward, wondering if that's where his thoughts were as well. I think, and if you ever repeat what I'm saying right now, I will cheerfully beat you to death. But I think it would hurt Jessica's feelings. He was bewildered. Obviously not thinking in that direction at all. Jessica? Really, Mike, are you blind? Oh, he exhaled, clearly dazed. I took advantage of that. To make my escape it's time for class and i can't be late again i gathered my books up and stuffed them in my bag we walked in silence to building three his expression was distracted i hoped whatever thoughts he was immersed in were leading him in the right direction when i saw jessica and trig she was bubbling with enthusiasm She, Angela and Lauren were going to Port Angeles tonight To go dress shopping for the dance She wanted me to come too Even though I didn't need one I was indecisive It would be nice to get out of town with some girlfriends But Lauren would be there And who knew what I could be doing tonight But that was definitely the wrong path to let my mind wander down Of course I was... Happy about the sunlight, but that wasn't completely responsible for the euphoric mood I was in, not even close. So I gave her a maybe, telling her I'd have to talk with Charlie first. She talked of nothing but the dance on the way to Spanish, continuing as if without an interruption when class finally ended, five minutes late, and we were on our way to lunch. I was far too lost in my own frenzy of anticipation to notice much of what she said. I was painfully eager to see not just him, but all the Cullens, to compare them with the new suspicions that plagued my mind. As I crossed the threshold of the cafeteria, I felt the first true tingle of fear. Slither down my spine and settle in my stomach Would they be able to know what I was thinking? And then a different feeling jolted through me Would Edward be waiting to sit with me again? As was my routine, I glanced first towards the Cullen's table A shiver of panic trembled in my stomach as I realized It was empty With dwindling hope, my eyes scoured the rest of the cafeteria, hoping to find him alone, waiting for me. The place was nearly filled. Spanish had made us late, but there was no sign of Edward or any of his family. Desolation hit me with crippling strength. I shambled along behind Jessica, not bothering to pretend to listen anymore. We were late enough that everyone was already at our table. I avoided the empty chair next to Mike in favour of one by Angela. I vaguely noticed that Mike held the chair out politely for Jessica, and that her face lit up in response. Angela asked a few quiet questions about the Macbeth paper, which I answered as naturally as I could, while spiraling downward in misery. She, too, invited me to go with them tonight. I agreed now, grasping at anything to distract myself. I realized I had been holding on to a last shred of hope when I entered biology, saw his empty seat, felt a new wave of disappointment. The rest of the day passed slowly. Dismally. In gym, we had a lecture on the rules of badminton. The next torture that they had lined up for me. But at least it meant I got to sit and listen instead of stumbling around on the court. The best part was, the coach didn't finish, so I got another day off tomorrow. Never mind that the day after... They would arm me with a racket before unleashing me on the rest of the class. I was glad to leave campus so I would be free to pout and mope before I went out tonight with Jessica and company. But right after I walked in the door of Charlie's house, Jessica called to cancel our plans. I tried to be happy that Mike had asked her out to dinner. I really was relieved that he finally seemed to be catching on. But my enthusiasm sounded false in my own ears. She rescheduled our shopping trip for tomorrow night, which left me with little in the way of distractions. I had fish marinating for dinner with a salad and bread left over from the night before, so there was nothing to do there. I spent a focused half hour on homework, but then I was through with that too. I checked my email, reading the backlog of letters from my mother, getting snippier as they progressed to the present. I sighed and typed a quick response. Mum, sorry, I've been out. I went to the beach with some friends, and I had to write a paper. My excuses were fairly pathetic, so I gave up on that. It's sunny outside today. I know. I'm shocked too. I'm going to go outside and soak up as much vitamin D as I can. I love you. Bella. I decided to kill an hour with non-school related reading. I had a small collection of books that came with me to Forks. The shabbiest volume, being a compilation of the works of Jane Austen. I selected that one, and headed to the backyard, grabbing a ragged old quilt from the linen cupboard at the top of the stairs on my way down. Outside, in Charlie's small, square yard, I folded the quilt in half, and laid it out of the reach of the tree shadows on the thick lawn, That would always be slightly wet, no matter how long the sun shone. I lay on my stomach, crossing my ankles in the air, Flipping through the different novels in the book, Trying to decide which would occupy my mind the most thoroughly. My favourites were Pride and Prejudice, and Sense and Sensibility. I'd read the first most recently, so I started into sense and sensibility, only to remember after I began chapter three, that the hero of the story happened to be named Edward. Angrily, I turned to Mansfield Park, but the hero of that piece was named Edmund, and that was just too close. Weren't there any other names available in the late 18th century? I snapped the book shut, annoyed, and rolled over onto my back. I pushed my sleeves up as high as they would go and closed my eyes. I would think of nothing but the warmth on my skin, I told myself severely. The breeze was still light, but it blew tendrils of my hair around my face and that tickled a bit. I pulled all my hair over my head, letting it fan out on the quilt above me, focused again on the heat that touched my eyelids, my cheekbones, my nose, my lips, my forearms, my neck, soaked through my light shirt. The next thing I was conscious of was the sound of Charlie's cruiser turning onto the bricks of the driveway. I sat up in surprise, realizing the light was gone behind the trees and I had fallen asleep. I looked around, muddled, with the sudden feeling that I wasn't alone. Charlie? I asked, but I could hear his door slamming in front of the house. I jumped up, foolishly edgy, gathering the now-damp quilt and my book. I ran inside to get some oil heating on the stove, realizing that dinner would be late. Charlie was hanging up his gun belt and stepping out of his boots when I came in. Sorry, Dad, dinner's not ready yet. I fell asleep outside. I stifled a yawn. Don't worry about it. I wanted to catch the score on the game anyway. I watched TV with Charlie after dinner for something to do. There wasn't anything on that I wanted to watch, but he knew I didn't like baseball, so he turned it to some mindless sitcom that neither of us enjoyed. He seemed happy, though, to be doing something together, and it felt good, despite my depression to make him happy. Dad, I said during a commercial, Jessica and Angela are going to look at dresses for the dance tomorrow night in Port Angeles, and they wanted me to help them choose. Do you mind if I go with them? Jessica Stanley, he asked, and Angela Weber, I sighed as I gave him the details. He was confused, but... You're not going to the dance, right? No, Dad, but I'm helping them find dresses. You know, giving constructive criticism. I wouldn't have to explain this to a woman. Well, okay. He seemed to realize that he was out of his depth with the girly stuff. It's a school night, though. We'll leave right after school so we can get back early. You'll be okay for dinner, right? ''Bells, I fed myself for seventeen years before you got here,'' he reminded me. ''I don't know how you survived,'' I muttered, then added more clearly. ''I'll leave some things for cold-cut sandwiches in the fridge, okay?'' ''Right on top.'' It was sunny again in the morning. I awakened with renewed hope that I grimly tried to suppress. I dressed for the warmer weather in a deep blue v-neck blouse, something I'd worn in the dead of winter in Phoenix. I had planned my arrival at school, so that I barely had time to make it to class. With a sinking heart, I circled the full lot looking for a space, while also searching for the silver Volvo that was clearly not there. I parked in the last row and hurried to English, arriving breathless but subdued before the final bell. It was the same as yesterday. I just couldn't keep little sprouts of hope from budding in my mind, only to have them squashed painfully as I searched the lunchroom in vain and sat at my empty biology table. The Port Angeles scheme was back on again for tonight and made all the more attractive by the fact that Lauren had other obligations. I was anxious to get out of town so I could stop glancing over my shoulder, hoping to see him appearing out of the blue the way he always did. I vowed to myself that I would be in a good mood tonight and not ruin Angela's or Jessica's enjoyment in dress hunting. Maybe I could do a little clothes shopping as well. I refused to think that I might be shopping alone in Seattle this weekend. No longer interested in the earlier arrangement. Surely he wouldn't cancel without at least telling me. After school, Jessica followed me home in her old white mercury so that I could ditch my books and truck. I brushed through my hair, Quickly when I was inside Feeling A slight lift of excitement As I contemplated Getting out of Forks I left a note for Charlie On the table Switched my scruffy wallet From my school bag to a purse I rarely used And ran out to join Jessica We went To Angela's house next And she was waiting for us My excitement increased exponentially as we actually drove out of the town limits. Chapter 8. Port Angeles. Jess drove faster than the chief, so we made it to Port Angeles by four. It had been a while since I'd had a girls' night out, and the estrogen rush was invigorating. We listened to whiny rock songs while Jessica jabbered on about the boys we hung out with. Jessica's dinner with Mike had gone very well, and she was hoping that by Saturday night they would have progressed to the first kiss stage. I smiled to myself, pleased. Angela was passively happy to be going to the dance, but not really interested in Eric. Jess tried to get her to confess who her type was, but I interrupted with a question about dresses after a bit, to spare her. Angela threw a grateful glance my way. Port Angeles was a beautiful little tourist trap, much more polished and quaint than forks. But Jessica and Angela knew it well, so they didn't plan to waste time on the picturesque boardwalk by the bay. Jess drove straight to the one big department store in town, which was a few streets in from the Bay Area's visitor-friendly face. The dance was billed as semi-formal, and we weren't exactly sure what that meant. Both Jessica and Angela seemed surprised and almost disbelieving when I told them I'd never been to a dance in Phoenix. ''Didn't you ever go with a boyfriend or something?'' Jess asked dubiously as we walked through the front doors of the store. ''Really?'' I tried to convince her, not wanting to confess my dancing problems. ''I've never had a boyfriend or anything close. I didn't go out much.'' ''Why not?'' Jessica demanded. ''No one asked me.'' I answered, honestly. She looked sceptical. People ask you out here, she reminded me, and you tell them no. We were in the juniors' section now, scanning the racks for dress-up clothes. Well, except for Tyler, Angela amended quietly. Excuse me, I gasped. What did you say? Tyler told everyone he's taking you to prom. Jessica informed me with suspicious eyes. He said what i sounded like i was choking i told you it wasn't true angela murmured to jessica i was silent still lost in shock that was quickly turning to irritation but we had found the dress racks and now we had work to do that's why lauren doesn't like you jessica giggled while we poured through the clothes I ground my teeth. Do you think if I ran him over with my truck, he would stop feeling guilty about the accident? That he might even give up on making amends and call it even? Maybe, Jess snickered, if that's why he's doing this. The dress selection wasn't large, but both of them found a few things to try on. I sat on a low chair just inside the dressing room by the three-way mirror, trying to control my fuming. Jess was torn between two. One, a long, strapless, basic black number. The other, a knee-length electric blue with spaghetti straps. I encouraged her to go with the blue. Why not play up the eyes? Angela chose a pale pink dress that Draped around her tall frame nicely Brought out honey tints in her light brown hair I complimented them both generously And helped by returning the rejects to their racks The whole process was much shorter and easier Than similar trips that I had taken with Renee at home I guess there was something to be said For limited choices We headed over to shoes and accessories. While they tried things on, I merely watched and critiqued. Not in the mood to shop for myself, though. I did need new shoes. The girl's night high was wearing off in the wake of my annoyance at Tyler. Leaving room for the gloom to move back in. Angela, I began... Hesitant while she was trying on a pair of pink strappy heels. She was overjoyed to have a date tall enough that she could wear high heels at all. Jessica had drifted to the jewellery counter and we were alone. Yes, she held her leg out, twisting her ankle to get a better view of the shoe. I chickened out. I like those. I think I'll get them though they'll never match anything but the one dress, she mused. Oh, go ahead, they're on sale, I encouraged. She smiled, putting the lid back on a box that contained more practical-looking off-white shoes. I tried again. Um, Angela? She looked up, curiously. Is it normal for the... Cullen's... I kept my eyes on the shoes. To be out of school a lot. I failed miserably in my attempt to sound nonchalant. Yes, when the weather is good, they go backpacking all the time. Even the doctor. They're all real outdoorsy. She told me quietly, examining her shoes too. She didn't ask one question. Let alone the hundreds that Jessica would have unleashed. I was beginning to really like Angela. Oh, I let the subject drop as Jessica returned to show us the rhinestone jewellery she had found to match her silver shoes. We planned to go to dinner at a little Italian restaurant on the boardwalk, but the dress shopping hadn't taken as long as we'd expected. Jess and Angela were going to take their clothes back to the car, and then walk down to the bay. I told them I would meet them at the restaurant in an hour. I wanted to look for a bookstore. They were both willing to come with me, but I encouraged them to go have fun. They didn't know how preoccupied I could get when surrounded by books. It was something I preferred to do alone. They walked off to the car, chattering happily and I headed in the direction that Jess pointed out. I had no trouble finding the bookstore, but it wasn't what I was looking for. The windows were full of crystals, dreamcatchers, books about spiritual healing. I didn't even go inside. Through the glass I could see a 50-year-old woman with long grey hair worn straight down her back, clad in a dress right out of the 60s smiling welcomingly from behind the counter i decided that was one conversation that i could skip there had to be a normal bookstore in town i meandered through the streets which were filling up with the end of the workday traffic and hoped that i was headed toward downtown I wasn't paying as much attention as I should to where I was going. I was wrestling with despair. I was trying so hard not to think about him and what Angela had said. And more than anything, trying to beat down my hopes for Saturday, fearing a disappointment more painful than the rest. When I looked up, To see someone's silver Volvo parked along the street. And it all came crashing down on me. Stupid, unreliable vampire, I thought to myself. I stomped along in a southerly direction. Towards some glass-fronted shops that looked promising. But when I got to them, they were just a repair shop and a vacant space. I still had too much time to go looking for Jess and Angela yet, and I definitely needed to get my mood in hand before I met back up with them. I ran my fingers through my hair a couple of times and took some deep breaths before I continued around the corner. I started to realise as I crossed another road that I was going the wrong direction. The little foot traffic I had seen was going north, and it looked like the buildings here were mostly warehouses. I decided to turn east at the next corner, and loop around after a few blocks and try my luck on a different street on the way back to the boardwalk. A group of four men turned around the corner I was heading for, dressed too casually to be heading home from the office, but... They were too grimy to be tourists. As they approached me, I realized they weren't too many years older than I was. They were joking loudly among themselves, laughing raucously and punching each other's arms. I scooted as far to the inside of the sidewalk as I could to give them room, walking swiftly looking past them to the corner. Hey there, one of them called as they passed. He had to be talking to me since no one else was around. I glanced up automatically. Two of them had paused and the other two were slowing. The closest, a heavy-set, dark-haired man in his early twenties seemed to be the one who had spoken. He was wearing a flannel shirt open over a dirty t-shirt, cut-off jeans and sandals. He took half a step toward me hello, I mumbled, a knee-jerk reaction. Then I quickly looked away and walked faster toward the corner. I could hear them, laughing at full volume behind me. Hey, wait, one of them called after me again, but I kept my head down and rounded the corner with a sigh of relief. I could still hear them, chortling behind me. I found myself on a sidewalk, leading past the backs of several sombre-coloured warehouses, each with large bay doors for unloading trucks, padlocked for the night. The south side of the street had no sidewalk, only a chain-link fence topped with barbed wire protecting some kind of engine-parts storage yard. I'd wandered far past the part of Port Angeles that I, as a guest, was intended to see. It was getting dark, I realized, the clouds finally returning, piling up on the western horizon and creating an early sunset. The eastern sky was still clear, but graying, shot through with streaks of pink and orange. I'd left my jacket in the car and A sudden shiver made me cross my arms tightly across my chest. A single van passed me, and then the road was empty. The sky suddenly darkened further, and as I looked over my shoulder to glare at the offending cloud, I realized with a shock that two men were walking quietly 20 feet behind me. They were from the same group I'd passed at the corner, though neither was the dark one who'd spoken to me. I turned my head forward at once, quickening my pace. A chill that had nothing to do with the weather made me shiver again. My purse was on a shoulder strap, and I had it slung across my body, the way you were supposed to wear it so it wouldn't get snatched. I knew exactly where my pepper spray was. Still, in my duffel bag under the bed, never unpacked. I didn't have much money with me, just a twenty and some ones. I thought about accidentally dropping my bag and walking away, but... A small frightened voice in the back of my mind warned me that they might be something worse than thieves. I listened intently to their quiet footsteps which were much too quiet when, compared to the boisterous noise they'd been making earlier, it didn't sound like they were speeding up or getting any closer to me. Breathe. I had to remind myself. You don't know they're following you. I continued to walk as quickly as I could without actually running, focusing on the right-hand turn that was only a few yards away from me now. I could hear them staying as far back as they had been before. A blue car turned onto the street from south and drove quickly towards me. I thought of jumping out in front of it, but I hesitated. Inhibited. Unsure that I was really being pursued. And then it was too late. I reached the corner, but a swift glance revealed it was only a blind drive to the back of another building. I was half turned in anticipation. I had to hurriedly correct and dash across the narrow drive back to the sidewalk. The street ended at the next corner where there was a stop sign. I concentrated. On the faint footsteps behind me, deciding whether or not to run. They sounded farther back, though. And I knew they could outrun me in any case. I was sure to trip and go sprawling if I tried to go any faster. The footfalls were definitely farther back. I risked a quick glance over my shoulder, and they were maybe 40 feet back now. I saw with relief but they were both staring at me. It seemed to take forever for me to get to the corner. I kept my pace steady, the men behind me falling ever so slightly farther behind with every step. Maybe they realized they had scared me and were sorry. I saw two cars going north past the intersection that I was heading for. I exhaled in relief. There would be more people around once I got off this deserted street. I skipped around the corner with a grateful sigh, and skidded to a stop. The street was lined on both sides by blank, doorless, windowless walls. I could see in the distance two intersections down, street lamps, cars, more pedestrians, but they were all too far away. Because lounging against the Western Building, midway down the street, were the other two men from the group, both watching with excited smiles as I froze dead on the sidewalk. I realized then that I wasn't being followed. I was being herded. I paused for only a second, but it felt like a very long time. I turned then and darted to the other side of the road. I had a sinking feeling that it was a wasted attempt. The footsteps behind me were louder now. There you are. The booming voice of the stocky, dark-haired man shattered the intense quiet and made me jump. In the gathering darkness, it seemed like he was looking past me. Yeah. A voice called loudly from behind me, making me jump again as I tried to hurry down the street. We just took a little detour. My steps had to slow now. I was closing the distance between myself and the lounging pair too quickly. I had a good loud scream and I sucked in air, preparing to use it. My throat was so dry, I wasn't sure how much volume I could manage. With a quick movement, I slipped my purse over my head, gripping the strap with one hand, ready to surrender it or use it as a weapon as need demanded. The thick-set man shrugged away from the wall as I warily came to a stop, and walked slowly into the street. Stay away from me, I warned in a voice that was supposed to sound strong and fearless. But I was right about the dry throat. No volume. Don't be like that, sugar, he called. And the raucous laughter started again behind me. I braced myself feet apart, trying to remember through my panic what little self-defense I knew. Heel of the hand, thrust upward, hopefully break the nose or shove it into the brain, finger through the eye socket, try and hook around and pop the eye out, and the standard knee to the groin. That same pessimistic voice in my mind spoke up then, reminding me that I probably wouldn't have a chance against one of them, and there were four. Shut up. I commanded the voice before terror could incapacitate me. I wasn't going out without taking someone with me. I tried to swallow so I could build up a decent scream. Headlights suddenly flew around the corner, the car almost hitting the stocky one, forcing him to jump back toward the sidewalk. I dove into the road. This car was going to stop or have to hit me, with the silver car unexpectedly fishtailed around, skidding to a stop, with the passenger door open just a few feet from me. Get in, a furious voice commanded. It was amazing how instantaneously the choking fear vanished, amazing how suddenly the feeling of security washed over me, even before I was off the street as soon as I heard his voice. I jumped into the seat, slamming the door shut behind me. It was dark in the car. No light had come on with the opening of the door, and I could barely see his face in the glow from the dashboard. The tires squealed as he spun around to face north, accelerating too quickly, swerving toward the stunned man on the street, I caught a glimpse of them, diving for the sidewalk as we straightened out and sped toward the harbour. Put on your seatbelt, he commanded. And I realised I was clutching the seat with both hands. I quickly obeyed. The snap as the belt connected was loud in the darkness. He took a sharp left, racing forward, blowing through several stop signs without pause. But I felt utterly safe And for the moment totally unconcerned about where we were going I stared at his face in Profound relief Relief that went beyond my sudden deliverance I studied his flawless features in the limited light Waiting for my breath to return to normal until it occurred to me that his expression was murderously angry. "'Are you okay?' I asked, surprised at how hoarse my voice sounded. "'No,' he said curtly, and his tone was livid. I sat in silence, watching his face while his blazing eyes stared straight ahead, until the car came to a sudden stop. I glanced around, but it was too dark to see anything beside the vague outline of dark trees crowding the roadside. We weren't in town anymore. Bella, he asked, his voice tight, controlled. Yes? My voice was still rough. I tried to clear my throat quietly. Are you alright? He still didn't look at me, but the fury was plain on his face. Yes, I croaked softly. Distract me, please, he ordered. I'm sorry, what? He exhaled sharply. Just prattle about something unimportant until I calm down, he clarified. Closing his eyes, pinching the bridge of his nose with his thumb and his forefinger. Um, I racked my brain for something trivial. I'm going to run over Tyler Crowley tomorrow before school? He was still squeezing his eyes closed, but the corner of his mouth twitched. Why? He's telling everyone he's taking me to prom. Either he's insane... Or he's still trying to make up for almost killing me last. Well, you remember it. And he thinks prom is somehow the correct way to do this. So I figure if I endanger his life, then we're even. And he can't keep trying to make amends. I don't need enemies. And maybe Lauren would back off if he left me alone. I might have to total his Sentra though. If he doesn't have a ride, he can't take anyone to prom. I babbled on. I heard about that. He sounded a bit more composed. You did? I asked in disbelief, my previous irritation flaring. If he's paralyzed from the neck down, he can't get a prom either, I muttered, refining my plan. Edward sighed, and finally opened his eyes. Better? Better? Not really. I waited, but he didn't speak again. He leaned his head back against the seat, staring at the ceiling of the car. His face was rigid. What's wrong? My voice came out in a whisper. Sometimes I have a problem with my temper, Bella. He was whispering too, and as he stared out of the window... His eyes narrowed into slits. But it wouldn't be helpful for me to turn around and hunt down those. He didn't finish his sentence, looking away, struggling for a moment to control his anger again. At least, he continued. That's what I'm trying to convince myself. Oh. The word seemed inadequate, but I couldn't think of a better response We sat in silence again I glanced at the clock on the dashboard It was past 6.30 Jessica and Angela will be worried, I muttered I was supposed to meet them He started the engine without another word turning around smoothly and speeding back toward town. We were under the streetlights in no time at all, still going too fast, weaving with ease though, through the cars, slowly cruising the boardwalk. He parallel parked against the curb in a space that I would have thought much too small for the Volvo. But he slid in effortlessly in one try. I looked out of the window, to see the lights of La Bella Italia, and Jess and Angela just leaving, pacing anxiously away from us. How did you know where? I began, but then I just shook my head. I heard the door open and turned to see him getting out. What are you doing? I asked. I'm taking you to dinner. He smiled slightly, but his eyes were hard. He stepped out of the car and slammed the door. I fumbled with my seatbelt and hurried to get out of the car as well. He was waiting for me on the sidewalk. He spoke before I could. Go stop Jessica and Angela before I have to track them down too. I don't think I could restrain myself if I ran into your other friends again. I shivered at the threat in his voice. Jess, Angela, I yelled after them, waving when they turned. They rushed back to me, the pronounced relief on both of their faces simultaneously changing to surprise as they saw who I was standing next to. They hesitated a few feet from us. "'Where have you been?' Jessica's voice was suspicious. "'I got lost,' I admitted sheepishly. "'And then I ran into Edward.' I gestured toward him. "'Would it be all right if I joined you?' He asked in his silken, irresistible voice. I could see from their staggered expressions that he had never unleashed his talents on them before. Uh, sure, Jessica breathed. Um, actually, Bella, we already ate while we were waiting. Sorry, Angela confessed. That's fine, I'm not hungry, I shrugged. I think you should eat something. Edward's voice was low, but full of authority. He looked up at Jessica and spoke slightly louder. Do you mind if I drive Bella home tonight? That way you won't have to wait while she eats. Uh, no problem, I guess. She bit her lip, trying to figure out from my expression whether that was what I wanted. I winked at her. I wanted nothing more than to be alone with my perpetual saviour. There were so many questions that I couldn't bombard him with till we were by ourselves. Okay, Angela was quicker than Jessica. See you tomorrow, Bella. Edward. She grabbed Jessica's hand and pulled her toward the car, which I could see a little ways away, parked across First Street. As they got in, Jess turned and waved, her face eager with curiosity. I waved back, waiting for them to drive away, before I turned to face him. Honestly, I'm not hungry, I insisted, looking up to scrutinize his face. His expression was unreadable. Humor me. He walked to the door of the restaurant, and held it open with an obstinate expression. Obviously, there would be no further discussion. I walked past him, into the restaurant, with a resigned sigh.